the way it started was like many old good technologies with a glass of red wine in a boardroom, I guess. Omnichannel is no longer about how you purchase. It's following the customer journey. <laughs> I'd say that's a loaded question. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that Express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency eSuite. Can you believe it? This is episode number 200. It's crept up on me like a salesperson at an after party. I just want to thank you all for listening for 200 episodes. It's uh, phenomenal as what started as a silly little idea has grown into what I think is a fabulous community and a great resource for those wanting to know more about the world of e-commerce in Australia. And um, it's all because of you guys who listen and give me feedback and suggest it to your friends as a way to get that inside information. So thank you all for sticking with me for 200 episodes. It's been a wild ride. And again, I love hearing from you, meeting you and getting your views on it. So please keep that coming. Always let me know what you think. So thank you for hanging in there with me. I also want to thank all our guests. Every day, I kind of pinch myself that I'm lucky enough to talk and that these people want to talk and share their incredible stories that we can all learn from. And I think that's one thing about the Australian e-commerce industry is that it's so incredibly open and generous. And the guests that we have on Add to Cart are great examples of that. And without them, you wouldn't want to listen to me. Trust me. Without them, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you all to our guests who have so generously shared and those who have said they're going to come on to share. So we have some exciting guests in the pipeline. I also want to thank Shopify Plus and Paclio. They have been sponsors from the start and without them, this podcast couldn't happen. We don't take a dollar out of Add to Cart. Everything that gets invested in, we use to grow the show. So thank you for Shopify Plus and Paclio for their continued support and unwavering dedication to helping us deliver Add to Cart. It means a lot. And lastly, a huge, huge shout out to our Add to Cart team, our producer, Amy, our editor, Gil, aka the podcast boss, and the team at Expressway Studio. You guys are the best. I get a lot of people contacting me and saying, I don't know how you do it all. I don't know how you record and mix and edit and publish. The truth is I have the really easy job of having the conversations and the team there do the most amazing job at bringing it to life. Without them, this show would never happen. So thank you, Amy, Gill, and the Expressway Studio team. You guys are phenomenal. All right, let's get into it before I start crying. Episode 200, Red Wine in the Boardroom. It's a disaster for many, you would think, but according to my guest today, It's the recipe for success and how he came up with the idea for his digital technology company. Frank Nessie is the co-founder of Commistry, a central e-commerce hub that integrates, enriches, and synchronizes data from multiple business systems for retailers. Now, wait to hear from Frank. All that will make sense. They currently manage over 150 brands 
close to 10 million SKUs and process more than 20 million order transactions every year for clients like General Pants, The Iconic, and Amazon. Some nice names there. In this chat, we discuss the importance of understanding business processes first and foremost when designing tech solutions. We also navigate real-time inventory and what that really means. And Frank shares his learnings from scaling commerce and going international. Lots of lessons in there. So thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Paclio, here's our conversation with Frank Nessie from Commistry. Frank, thanks for joining us on Add to Cart. Nathan, thanks for having us. I'm really excited to be here today with you. So am I. It's, um, it feels like this has been a long time coming because when I first got into e-commerce, you were one of the people, one of the first people I think I spoke to and helped introduce me to the world of Australian e-commerce. So it's great to um, be here and dive deeper. Yeah, memory serves me right. It was back in the days of automotive spare parts and fitment-related data, which is uh, not for the faint-hearted. That's right. And I would have come from the advertising and marketing world, so I would have had no idea what you were talking about at the time. So thanks for bearing with me. Yeah, I think you did a good job because uh, you had me convinced you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> All right. So we are here to talk about commerce And we were lucky enough to have Abby from Ocular join us a few weeks ago. And he mentioned commerce in passing. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have heard of commerce if not used commerce But can you explain what commerce is and how you help retailers? Yeah, commerce is a digital commerce experience platform bringing together in one central location, product data, pricing, and more importantly, inventory to allow you to promote your products to the digital world, whether it be your e-commerce website, your marketplaces, or any social media platform or any other platform that requires product feeds which are in sync with your website. And then to round that all off, it has the ability to help retailers determine where is the best place to fill those orders from, whether it's click and collect or ship from store, with the main intention is to utilise and turn over your inventory as much as possible because that's the name of the game in retail. Yes. Okay, so totally product focused, totally channel agnostic? Channel agnostic with a key focus on e-commerce platforms first and foremost. Our clients are most successful. The brands we work with on their own e-commerce websites, marketplaces are secondary mainly to either protect their brand or bring another level of discovery to the product and the brand. And then the bonus on that, hopefully sell on these marketplaces, generate more sales revenue and acquire more customers. And have you seen, where do you normally see people come into the commerce world? Is it that they are typically storing product details on their own e-commerce platform, like a Shopify or a big commerce, and then realize or the world is, the opportunity is much larger. We need to start integrating with other channels, selling through other channels, and we need a centralized place to store our product data. Is that the entry point normally? Yeah, there's not one right answer there, Nathan. We're quite fortunate that we have three or four entry points. One entry point could be people need a platform to centralize and manage their product information and enrich it for their different requirements. The other entry point could be around order management to offer click and collect or to utilize their stores as fulfillment centers and so looking for a distributor or management system. And then a third entry point could be people that want to go to marketplaces or have a tool to better manage their product feeds. And you bring that all together and that, that's commentary. Right. So you hit on three points there, which are obviously very hot topics over the last couple of years. We've got 
being able to track inventory. We've obviously had all the supply issues and people being able to get inventory to customers. Click and collect obviously exploded during COVID and marketplaces we've seen the rise of and continual rise and divergence of, of marketplace in Australia. You must have had the craziest last couple of years. We've had a crazy couple of last years. Our technology is not, it's not something you turn on today uh, for tomorrow, so it does take time. But where we've seen the craziness was our existing clients, their dependency on online, the dependency on commentary, and the high expectations of the consumers to get their product at the right time in the right place. And are you finding your customers are coming to you with problems that you go, great, we've got something off the shelf or ready to go, or are you constantly being hit with new feature requests, things that you haven't developed yet? Yeah, I think it's uh, the latter is the more truthful thing. I think uh, retailers and e-commerce specialists are becoming smarter and looking around the world, what people are doing, what different technologies do, and they collate them all together and, and hope to get the one size fits all from one vendor. And so we're learning a lot from our our customers in turn, or our clients, I should say, in terms of what their requirements are, what their expectations are. And sometimes you need to sort of bring them back down to earth and say, well, that's not practical or it's a nice to have, but is it really going to bring that return on investment? Because it all costs money, both from their side, but from our side also. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I've noticed having worked with you and the team on a few projects with Commistry is that there is that ability to be a bit flexible. It's not like it's an out-of-the-box you know, system that you go, here it is, use the parameters, do have a team on the ground here to consult with and to work through those individual problems. Are there any kind of areas where you are constantly seeing retailers trying to push the boundaries at the moment? I would say... The boundaries will be that the new trend I've seen now is around returns and refunds and how they want to automate that and manage that. In terms of going back to product data, which is our core foundation, we're seeing more and more people interested in marketplaces again. But I think a lot of them somewhat get disappointed when they don't see the return investment on their efforts or they think just by turning a marketplace channel that it's automatically going to generate sales uh, just like your own physical store, just like your own e-commerce website, you need to invest in these marketplaces. They are a different beast and they need to have specialist resources that are just working the, the platform but also working, the ven- working with the vendor of that platform. Ever scrolled through an e-commerce packaging website for fun? Nah, me neither. Until today. Paclio is putting the joy into the packaging game. So let's play a game. I'll tell you the name of the Paclio product and you have to try and guess what kind of product they are. Fairy Floss, Compostable Mailer, Queen Bee, Honeycomb Padded Mailer, here we go, Gummy Shark, Water Activated Tape. Now, if my jaded self thinks that this packaging is fun, imagine what your customers will think. Paclio is also eco-friendly, Australian-owned and operated with same-day dispatch and 14-day returns. Now, that's pure joy for everyone. Check out the Paclio range of e-commerce packaging options at paclio.com. That's paclio, P-A-C-K-L-E-O, paclio.com. Now, this might be a loaded question, but is there a marketplace that you love working and integrating with and one that you just throws up problems every time? (laughs) I'd say that's a loaded question. I mean, I wouldn't say there's one that we specifically like working with. I think it's fair to say 
because uh, 60% of our client base is in the fashion footwear and apparel space, the Iconic is the one that we do a lot of work with. However, we're seeing a number of marketplaces like Amazon now is really pushing hard on the fashion footwear and apparel, and there's a lot more people interested in Amazon Australia. Or some of our clients are now venturing offshore into the US and the UK. They're also using Amazon as a test bed to see whether their products would do well in that market. But yeah, every marketplace has its purpose and has, I think it's more importantly, a category of products and a category of consumers that it's well designed for. Mm. Any common traits of retailers that you've seen take marketplaces on and really succeed? Any factors from your perspective that really make them successful in those marketplaces, whether it is the iconic or it's Amazon? I think it comes down to the brand and the product and also like the iconic does their own marketing and merchandising is how well they push their brand and product. When you look at the generic marketplaces like Amazon and Catch, again, it comes down to your own brand recognition and your own product recognition, which comes back to discovery. If you're not putting the efforts in the beginning to make people aware of your product, whether it's on social media, Google, Facebook, Instagram, I think you've got not so good chances of succeeding in those marketplaces. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So take us back, Frank, to when you started Commistry. How did you come up with the idea? Because I'm assuming it looked very different back then to what it is today. You know, Nathan, it doesn't look too much different. Just recently, we had a client who um, basically needed commentary for what it was actually designed for I mean, years ago, and that was multiple brands in multiple websites in multiple geographies with uh, multiple inventory sources, and that's what we designed it for. It was probably one of the most complex requirements and well-suited for commentary, but the way it started was like many old good technologies, with a glass of red wine in a boardroom, I guess. <laughs> and literally, it was red wine in a boardroom with one of our Magento partners. We just finished a very complex Magento and eBay project and complex data requirements. The client then wanted to do Google and Facebook and uh, product data was all over the place. It wasn't centralised. And we sat there saying and drew a few boxes on a whiteboard and saying, what would the world be like if we had a cloud-based application that would first allow you to centralise the product data, enrich it for different sales channels, but then also be able to synchronise it and integrate it with those different sales channels together with pricing, inventory, images, and then harmonise the orders on the way back so that that, a retailer wouldn't have to worry about how do I integrate with that channel for orders and how do I integrate that channel with orders. And it was just simple as that. And what year are we talking here, Frank? Sorry. We're talking back in about 2014, you know, and then, you know, it's about sharing that idea with your stakeholders, uh, in my case, my co-founder, and trying to shift the mindset from being a services-based organisation to now becoming a product development company. And we, you know, we've never had experience in developing a product and selling our own product and then managing a development team. So that's how it all came about, the good old red wine and a problem that we were facing that we saw the industry going to face more and more as time went on. Brilliant. And in terms of the time since 2014, are there any standout clients or case studies that you've worked with in commerce that you've like, oh, I'm just so proud of this one because it's really hit our vision of what we were setting out to achieve from the start? I love to say there's one specific client, but I think it's fair to say there's a number. You know, when I think about multi-brand retailers like Retail Apparel Group, APG, Munro, 
they really utilize the power of commentary, managing product data for multiple brands, but then each brand having their own web store, website, and having its own Google feed, not just for the Australian currency, but a separate feed for the New Zealand currency and then the US currency and Facebook. And, you know, we're talking about clients who've got tens of thousands of SKUs, but also 50 plus channels to manage all that data and synchronize all that information harmoniously. And is there any limits with commistry around how many channels you can have, how many SKUs, how many variants? We haven't seen any limits yet. It's all about how much money you want to spend on your hosting to make sure that the application can perform to the customer's expectations. So we are multi-tenant. You know, we've got one application, one infrastructure source. You know, we've got uh, over 150 brands, close to 10 million SKUs and processing over 20 million uh, order transactions a year. And I think over 1,000 channels being managed at the moment in live production. That's incredible. That's huge. You don't want to get those phone calls of any servers going down on a weekend, do you? We don't. We don't. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've got a great team behind me where I'm not getting those midnight calls anymore. So uh, I recently had a client ring me up just before Easter and saying, Frank, your team's doing great, but I just wanted your permission that if something happens over Easter, I can give you a call. And I'm sitting there going, sure, you can. And I'm, all weekend, I was worried that I might get that call, but fortunately, the application did its job and and the team was out on standby, so I didn't have to lose any sleep. That's brilliant, brilliant. And from a retailer's perspective, if you're implementing commissary and obviously there's a fair bit of mapping and architecture that needs to be considered, what kind of resources do you like a retailer to have internally to be able to not only implement but get the most out of commissary long-term? That's a great question, Nathan. And, you know, it's uh, we've had some very successful clients and some very challenging clients and I think it comes down to like you mentioned resources and the two key resources I see is uh, number one is support from the IT department because commissary doesn't live in isolation it actually works together with back-end systems uh, the point of sale or the ERP or the warehouse management so that integration is very important and we need support from the IT. The other I think resource criticality would be people understanding business processes and how data impacts that business process. And it doesn't live one without the other. So you may have good data, but if you don't understand the business process within the business or the way the the application that we're talking to works, then you can certainly say we'll have some challenges. But So people with some data experience, business process experience, and then support from IT. I love that you've brought up business processes there because I think it's so important because you've got great people in your organization who can, you know, even if you've got your IT people who don't speak e-commerce fluently all day, every day can make sense of the data requirements and the technical requirements. But if you've got the wrong process from a business perspective, you can't undo that once it started started to build. No, and it's quite interesting. Uh, just recently, I was speaking to one of our clients who are uh, implementing a new system and typically, a retailer doesn't want to change their processes and expects the vendor of the platform to change their system to accommodate their process that they've been doing for 10, 20, 30 years plus. This retailer, good friend of ours, has actually gone the other way and saying, no, we're not going to customize the application. We're not going to ask the vendor to develop new functions and features. We're going to change our processes to adopt the modern world, which is not very common. And, you know, there was a bit of uh, resistance from the people in the business, but um, they pulled it through. 
bet that was music to your ears when you got that phone call. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was. And so from a business process perspective, one thing that, that constantly comes up, I find, is real-time inventory. So I always talk about inventory being the backbone of a retail business, even though we want to be customer-focused and, and customer-first. If we don't have the product or we don't know where the product is, then there's going to be a bad customer experience regardless. From your point of view, what are the most common real-time product inventory updates? How often is it being done? What do you think is expected and what do you see as being good in terms of updating that inventory? So I think the first question to answer is what's (laughs) real-time? Some people expect real-time to be milliseconds, microseconds, and other people saying within minutes. I think the true answer to that is how does the merchant or retailer manage your inventory? For example, if you're a, a retailer that does both wholesale and direct to consumer, are you using the same inventory? If not, then you can be confident to say updates less frequent will be okay. If you now go into retailers offering click and collect, then that's going to become more critical. And again, it depends on the brand and the product. If you're a luxury brand where in store you're only selling one an hour, uh, one every two hours, then less frequent updates is acceptable and okay to manage that customer experience and not disappoint the consumer. However, if you've got products which are frequently selling in store, then we're talking about real time. And the way we help our clients overcome that is it don't do full inventory updates every five seconds, every minute, just do deltas. And that's easier to process and faster to process. So I think the answer is more importantly, how do you operate your business and what type of product and what type of retailer are you in terms of velocity of sales in your physical store, uh, mainly around click and click. If you're doing ship from store, the consumer doesn't see what's happening in the background. And so inventory updates is not so critical. And we see a lot of clients who want to venture out using store inventory first and foremost by doing ship from store because it doesn't impact the consumer experience. For those not familiar with the concept of Delta updates, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So as an example, if you've got 25,000 SKUs and in that update of inventory, only 10 items have changed their inventory position, just send those 10 changes to the website, which only takes milliseconds update. But if you're trying to send every five minutes the 25,000 SKU updates, the system's not going to keep up with that. And as an example, we had a client who had a point of sale which couldn't give deltas. It only gives you full feeds. I can't remember the number of SKUs, but the client wanted to do updates every 15 minutes, but the point of sale would take 14 minutes to process every inventory for every SKU. And if it was deltas, it only takes seconds, but that, that's a practical example where it just didn't work. No, it's a great example. So if we're really talking, getting as close as we can to real time, we need to just be processing data that has been impacted, not the whole data set. Even in today's world, you know, it may not be the commissary system that can't handle it. You've got to think about what it's connected to and all the other systems that got to have, have to um, accept it and interpret it and the load that it's going to put throughout the whole system. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, sometimes commissary can process the data pretty quickly, but the destination system, whether it's a website or a marketplace, it takes time to process. So you always got to consider what is the slowest system in the chain. And then I think also we need to go back to practicality. Even if you have real-time inventory update, 
there could be situations where you're still going to disappoint the consumer because the point of sale, for example, will say this is my inventory position, but it doesn't know that somebody's just taken the clothes off the rack, gone to the change room to try it out, and potentially in that point of time also processing a, a purchase and somebody's online buying it. Or another great example would be you go to pick up the, the product from the shelf, the rack, and it's damaged. But the point of sale doesn't know that's a damaged item. So there's still those practical issues where it doesn't matter how frequently you do updates, you may have those disappointments come, come your way. Do you find a lot of retailers in the omni-channel world are using product thresholds? So, hey, if there's only one product available, if we're showing a SKU count of one being available, actually don't make it available online because, to your point, could be damaged, could be in the change room, could be stolen. We're just not sure on it. Yeah, so we, we're seeing people use buffers and thresholds, as you mentioned, but the challenge with that is you end up with all these onesies, twosies in your network, and what do you do with them? What we're seeing is people just experimenting, trying out, and sort of first put buffers, protect themselves, and then they may remove the buffers and see what's happening in their network, and it's more of a trial and error type of situation. And, you know, of course, if they have disappointments, they manage customer expectations through some good customer service and maybe some loyalty promotion points and things like that to make sure the consumer doesn't leave that brain or have a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah, it's a good point. You don't want to be left with all those ones and twos of bits and pieces lying around. From a data perspective, product and inventory data, when you get a new client typically and you open up the box and you have a look at the structure and the maturity of the data that you're looking at, for Australian retailers, how do you rate data capabilities in the product and inventory world and where do you often see the areas of neglect? I think as Australians, we always like to think that we're not up there with the best. I think we are doing a very good job. We've, in recent years, ventured off to the UK to build the commentary over there. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, there's such a mature market. Why would you go to a mature market? You know, and what my take was, and it's actually been proven, is, yes, they're leading the way in what I call third generation of website deployment. But still, lo and behold, their management of data and these are sizable retailers, normally two, four times bigger than what the Australians are, they're still using spreadsheets. It's still manually done, or they've got this, what I call spaghetti integration of different code, whether it's custom-developed code or middleware and plugins doing the integration, and they don't know if they're Martha or Arthur. So I think Australians should see themselves as actually punching above the weight. Where we see surprises is the way the back-end systems manage data, whether it's is it at a style level, or is it a colour level, or is it a skew level, and that brings complexities in when you're trying to uh, centralise and manage data effectively and efficiently in a system like Commerce because it's not about the way the data is currently stored in the back-end system or the way the website or the marketplace wants to see it is how do you manage your data effectively so that you use your resources efficiently. So that's our first look at. And then too many people are caught up going, well, that's the way our backend system does it, or that's the way we do it on our website. It's trying to get people to think differently around how you structure and manage data in a tool like Commistry, or for that matter, any PIM application. Yeah, great. That's really good insight. I want to go back to what you said there around the UK and what you're seeing with the third generation website deployments. What do you mean by third generation? 
So, you know, when, you know, you and I met each other many years ago, Nathan, I'd say Australia was just getting on their first generation of websites. You know, in those days, we saw a big plethora of Magento, whether it being the, the paid version or the community version. Um, and since then, we've seen many people re-platform to another another generation of e-commerce. And now we're seeing third generation here in Australia where they're going on to their third e-commerce re-platform. I would say that uh, markets like the UK are probably 12 months ahead of us in doing their third redeployment, and that's what I call third generation. Founded in 1927, strand bags have been loved by Australians for decades, but with age comes baggage. Well, digital baggage, to be precise. When COVID impacted their physical footprint, Strandbags decided it was time to put it all on the table and renew their relationship with their customers. They went looking for their happily ever after with Shopify Plus. And so far, it's a beautiful match. Launching a new e-commerce site for Australia and New Zealand, Strandbags saw a 30% increase in conversion rate in Australia and, get this, 300% increase in conversion rate in New Zealand. Love is definitely in the air and across the ditch. To read more of Strandbag's story and see other case studies, visit the customer sections on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. Any trends that you're seeing during, you know, brands that are doing it now for a third time, what are they changing? What are they putting a focus on? Some of them are trying to simplify and go for out-of-the-box type of applications, uh, and mainly SaaS is big. As you know, in the early days of Magento, typically you host your own version, but SaaS-based e-commerce platforms is really the way to go at the moment, the most retailers. And then, of course, you've got the headless or composable commerce where there are strong tech teams or they've got a strong e-commerce partner and they want to deliver that exceptional customer experience, not just around surfacing the products, but also tying that together with content and videos and blogs. And if you look at the adore beauties of this world, they were doing a very good job of bringing that, all those different parameters together in, into a common experience for the consumer. And Commistry obviously powers omni-channel businesses to bring all the product and the inventory data together for one experience. From a customer experience, when we talk omni-channel over the next couple of years, what do you foresee the changes being in omni-channel? Yeah, Nathan, it's, uh, you're getting close to my heart now on a topic I'm really passionate about. You know, if you think years ago, we as consumers only had one channel that was everything physical and installed, whether it was discovering a product through a newspaper, in-store, whether it was researching the product, whether it was um, making a decision to buy the product and purchasing the product and delivery. Everything was in the physical store. And then 10 years ago, the online world, or 10-plus years ago, we all come to the online world where there was a great divide where people stayed physical and some people went purely online. If you look today, and I'm probably one of the strongest of this, I'll discover a product online, I'll go install, do research, I'll go home and make a decision, maybe depending on the, on the product and the brand, I may buy online, but I may go back to the physical store and buy it, and then I'll get delivered home. So this omni-channel is no longer about how you purchase. It's following the customer journey from discovery to research to decision to buying to delivery and even the return and refund. And I think 
retailers need to pay attention that you can't look at the two worlds separately anymore. You can't say online is just for purchasing because online now is about researching and helping the consumer make that informed decision. And they may walk into your store tomorrow and make that purchase. You know, and just yesterday I did that with heaters because uh, there's cold snap. I did all you my research else. online. Yep. And uh, rang around and then we physically went and actually rang around and asked for some more information and then went and did a physical purchase. So online and offline world come together very strongly now. Yeah. And obviously that needs to be a good experience for product and inventory, but from a customer's perspective, they're not looking at it as an online store and then store store. It's just one brand, one experience. So you better have my past purchases available. I better be able to return in store. You better be able to tell me what stock is where. It doesn't matter. Correct. Exactly right. It's your retailer X and, you know, this was online or this was in the physical store. I expect it to be the, the same experience. And as you said, whether it's price, whether it's inventory, whether it's returns, that's what we as consumers expect. And it's going to get more and more demanding, in, in my opinion. So as it gets more and more demanding, what does that mean for the commissary world, where do you put your focus for the next few years? So our focus will be on data. It's always been about data, but I think, uh, you know, as you probably heard, data is the new oil. And, you know, once you've got good data, you can drive that customer experience. Uh, you can make some good predictive analysis for the future. And so for us, it's just more focusing on helping our clients manage their data more effectively and giving them more insights into their data also. Now, I want to just go back before we close off to a comment that you made a bit earlier in the episode around the challenges of going from a service-based business to going into a more product-based business. And you've been hugely successful with this. Um, if anyone wants to do some research, have a look at some of the funding and the investment over the last couple of years for Commissary. Brilliant Australian story so far. What has been your biggest lessons in moving from that service-based model to developing a product that can scale and go international? Our biggest learnings and challenges, which theoretically we knew but practically is difficult to deploy, is to develop a platform that people external to your organisation can use without having to get up from your chair and walk five metres and ask the developer, how do you do this or this is not working, is providing the tool that our clients can self-manage, self-support, or more importantly, our partners can help their clients become successful in the digital world, but also allow them to successfully generate additional revenue and deliver additional solutions to their clients. And, you know, are we there yet? No, we're learning every day, but it's an ongoing learning experience and it's an ongoing challenge to better yourself and become that product and make it standard for anybody to use. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're doing a phenomenal job of it. So what's next for the next, say the next 12 months for you and the team at Commistry? Of course, scale the business further, get more traction within European market, but also look at other markets, uh, whether it be the Asian market or the big elephant, which is the, the North, North American market, you know, take all of our lessons that we've had within Australia, but also expand the UK and not try to make the same mistakes that we've done over the past couple of years as we've expanded. Yeah, that's really exciting. I love it. And if we've got retailers who are listening to this going, I love what Frank's talking about. Sounds like it might solve some of my problems. What's the best way for them to get in touch? Well, 
as we spoke about omni-channel, we're also multi-channeling, having people get in touch with us. There's the website, give us a call, send me a message via LinkedIn or send me a message via my email, which uh, is frank.neshi.comstreet.com. Great stuff, Frank. Thank you so much. We'll put all those links in the show notes as well so people can access it easily. But thank you so much for uh, coming on and having a chat. It's been yeah, awesome to catch up. Nathan, it's a pleasure and thanks for making me think more about what I enjoy the most and what commentary is all about. But uh, have a great day and thanks again for the opportunity. Thanks, Frank. Enjoy that heater. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> well, <laughs> As I alluded to in the episode, I remember when I first met Frank, when I was fairly new to e-commerce, and he described what commentary does. I'm pretty sure that I blanked over. I was so new. Uh, and the, the solution was so advanced that I had absolutely no clue what he was talking about. Luckily, today, I fully appreciate the massive problem they are helping retailers with. And I love the way Frank breaks it down so that it is really clear for us, even those of us who aren't particularly techy. I think we all understand the problem that he's solving. Here are the three lessons I took from this conversation with Frank. Number one, the realities of data transfer. Now, even in a world where we can create holograms of dead pop stars and have flying sausage deliveries, bulk updating product counts is still tricky. Blows my mind. Frank shared how using Delta updates and planning near real-time, not necessarily real-time, near real-time updates was key for balancing up-to-date information for customers and tech stability. This is really important for high skew and high-volume retail. Make sure you've got a clear view of how your product inventory is updated and when. Number two, product buffers. And no, this isn't about slow loading pages. It's the number of in-stock items you have available before you mark the product as out of stock. So for example, you might have only one left, but you actually show it as zero on the website. And some retailers will sell until it gets to zero, but some retailers will mark the product as unavailable when they have one or two left. And this is to account for stolen, purchased, or damaged stock. Buffers can be set across the whole store or for different categories or even individual products. Now, it's really important to consider buffers when you're in omnichannel. Number three, your problem is often someone else's problem. We heard from Frank that Commissary started in a late-night boardroom when they tried to solve a customer's problem when they were an agency. Rather than just use the new solution to solve that problem for that customer, they onsold the solution to other retailers who are facing the same challenges. So when you are solving problems that you think are unique to you and you come up against, make sure you keep in the back of your mind, this might be a problem that you're solving today for you, but could be a new product or business opportunity for others. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addtocart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links, and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency, connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. Head on over to eSuiteTalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep those customers adding to cart.